Well, hello and welcome to episode 214 of The Cool Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths. A really fun show coming up for you today. We're going to sit down and have a chat with Bakery Hill Distilling, who are just in the process of getting ready to open up their new venue in Kensington, Melbourne, Australia. And then we're off to the other side of the city to visit Rambler's Ale House uh, over in Hawthorne. So really good interviews with both those guys. Some fascinating stories about processes, about what it's like to run venues uh, and about what they're looking forward to for 2024, as well as a few reflections about what's been happening in 2023. Uh, a few bits of other news before we get onto that. Lots of exciting things happening in cool room land at the moment. And look, perhaps the biggest and most exciting news we've had for ages. We've finally got our new YouTube channel up and running. So hopefully everyone can find us over there. Uh, word on the streets is that lots of people now listen to their podcasts on YouTube rather than some of the other providers. So if that's an easier way for you to get access to our stuff, head on over there. Lots of other content as well. Uh, a little bit still in the experimental phase, but we'd love to hear your feedback about what you'd like to see on that channel. Uh, and we'd really love it if you were able to like and subscribe. Uh, that way we can grow that nice and quickly. Great way to reach out to some new audience and share our love of craft beer and hospitality. And look, so many fun things happening in that world at the moment, as you'll hear, uh, very much the case in the cool room as well, where we're looking forward, not just to this episode, but to our next one, which will be the third of the three episodes that we recorded with Hawkers, uh, with Maz out there just before New Year's. Uh, thank you to everyone who's come and found the podcasts so far, episodes one and two of that trilogy. Uh, lots of feedback and lots of downloads I can see. Uh, so if you've just discovered the podcast through that, thank you so much for discovering us. I hope you're enjoying it. Welcome your feedback and very much welcome you heading over to our Shopify store, which you can find by just Googling Cool Room Podcast Shopify. And there you'll find the kinds of beers that we're talking about. And that includes a delicious eight-pack uh, of Rambler's Alehouse beers that accompany the podcast today. We've also got all sorts of other things over there. Uh, great $25 beer specials uh, on six-packs from earlier podcasts and very, very soon. Uh, for everyone who listened to the Adroit Theory episode, probably about five episodes ago, you'll know that from the US, there is something very special on the way, probably only a week or two away from that arriving. Uh, only about five cases of this beer, I'm told, arriving in Australia. One of them will be going on sale in the Cool Rooms uh, online store. And if you want to make sure you don't miss out on that, well, follow our socials, follow the Facebook, follow the Insta, and you'll be able to make sure that you missed out on absolutely nothing entering that store, absolutely nothing in terms of live shows that we're going to be a part of, just confirming some really fun things. Uh, look, you know, without going into all the details, people will know what it means when I say hair of the dog, when I say things like Black Box uh, and many more other festivals we're going to be joining in along the way this year that hopefully whets your appetite, hopefully excites you, hopefully gets you uh, checking out and joining up to our socials. Look, Without any further ado, it was a great pleasure for me the other day to walk down the hill from where I live in Kensington to the brand new site for Bakery Hill Distilling. They've been around for 25 years, but about to open a venue in Kensington. A great little spot to be. Uh, looking forward to speaking to another Kensington distillery really soon. But without any further ado, let us get underway on our chat with Bakery Hill. <laughs> 
Well, here we are. We're live out on location in sunny Kensington, as everyone who listens to the podcast would know, one of my favourite suburbs in the whole, whole world. We're going to be having a new distillery officially opening its doors soon. We've snuck in to have a chat today with Andrew and David from Bakery Hill. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Fantastic to be here. Now, as I say, most people who listen to the podcast will have a pretty good idea where Kensington is. But for people who, for some reason, have just tuned in for the very first time today, can you give us a bit of a feel about where we are in Melbourne and, um, and how you get here, which is going to be the important thing to know in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, very, very easy to get here, uh, David. So we've got a couple of train lines within a five-minute walk. So if you're in the, in the city or uh, Southern Cross Station, you can just train up to Kensington or Macaulay. Must be about two, three stops maybe. And then I'd say we're a five-minute walk from either of those stations. So two and a half k's from the city um, in the beautiful inner northwest of Melbourne. Um, very easy for people to get to, I think. And the best thing about coming by train is you don't have to worry about your 0.05. You don't have to worry about your 0.05. You don't have to worry about finding a park either, which is uh, something dear to the heart of Kensingtonians, I know. Absolutely. Um, very much a changing suburb. As we look out onto Macaulay Road here, we can see all sorts of building going on, and you guys have been doing your own building works here as well. Tell us, tell us the story of the space we're in. Well, this building actually originally here on Macaulay Road was one of Melbourne's, if not the original fishing tackle and reel provider or supplier of Melbourne, going back in the late 1800s. Uh, so MB Rag is written on the front of the old building, so it's got a lot of history here. Um, since then, it's been a lot of different things. It was, we've worked out it was a skateboard shop back in the early 2000s. It was a plumbing supply shop after that. And more recently, it's been the lunchroom for all the local tradies who are working on the apartments in the area. So um, it's been a lot of different things. Um, whiskey distillery now, so adding to the um, mixture of what uh, 411 Macaulay Road, uh, Kensington um, has been and is going to be. And really hoping we're going to get a fishing tackle pun related, you know, uh, whiskey made at some stage in the near future. Um, you know, we, we call ourselves the cool room because we like to have a peek behind the scenes in the podcast and talk about the realities of running hospitality businesses and businesses like this. How's the process of renovating the space been? It's been um, rather traumatic, actually, uh, because there are lots of safety procedures that we need to look at, fire safety, uh, vapour, um, ordinary safety of people coming in. Uh, this building was built back in the 1800s and it needed quite a lot of work to actually tick all the boxes that were required by the current, current government. For safety reasons. Absolutely. So how do you sort of go about that process and what kind of aesthetic are you going for here? Uh, it's been a long uh, process. Uh, we probably started uh, looking at what our vibe was going to be a good couple of years ago. We were actually originally going to be moving up the road into the, the wool stores. Um, that kind of fell through during COVID. We were able to transplant most of our plans into the new location. Um, we really want it to be a working distillery or it's going to be a working distillery and we really want people to feel the vibe that they're coming in and it's a place where something's made and something special's made. They can smell it, they can see it, they might be able to see people bottling, labelling at the time. Um, of course, they're going to be able to come in and, and purchase and, and, and drink the whiskey as well. And one of the other things that we're really looking forward to 
is tours where people can come in and rather than just saying, oh, I'll, just, I'll just try a little nip of that or a nip of that, we'll actually take the group, we'll take them through the process, we'll show them how we develop the flavours and the aroma for each of the whiskies that we make. So it's, it's rather, rather than, well, that's one whiskey, that's another, that's another. We'll educate people on how we've developed a particular flavour. And it's probably worth saying on that front, isn't it, that even though this is a new space and, you know, new excitement here, uh, this is a game that you've been at for a fair while. Uh, we don't have to worry about waiting for things to age in a barrel for six years. Uh, no, um, I actually started this uh, nearly 25 years ago. Very strange. I was the only distiller on the mainland of Australia. At that stage, there were three in Tasmania and they'd been going about five years. And I thought to myself, I think I'll, uh, I'll make beer. It sounds a great idea. And so I was reading all the articles that I could find on beer, but tucked away in those articles were small sections on whiskey. And guess what it said? The only place in the world that can make whiskey is Scotland because of the air and the water. If you ain't got the air and you ain't got the water, you can't do it. The sad thing was the world believed it, that it is the air. It's not at all. It's I mean, the, the, the Scottish government and Scottish, you know, distilling industry must have spent a lot of money making sure that story never, you know, never died over there. Well, the background was, now, we've all heard Breaking Bad. <laughs> I used to teach chemistry, and by the way, I won't tell you where we make the, make the meth anyway. <laughs> um, I used to teach chemistry for quite a long time and I'd never drunk whisky in my life and I used my chemical knowledge basically to put together something that I was very, very happy with. So uh, that was the thing that really got me going. I had to learn very quickly what whisky was like and the different flavours, the different components from different regions. but. Uh, it's a hard job when you have to do it. <laughs> where, where, were you, uh, where were you located when you were doing that? It's probably worth asking as well. So before well, we the, come the, to this new building. Well, uh, my original plan was to move out around the Hillsville area with all the tourists out there. And then I suddenly realised, hang on, hang on, we've got a problem here. If I make some whisky today, it's going to take four, five, six years to mature. So I'm going to be sitting in a really top-end, beautiful uh, place and tell people, come back in five, six or seven <laughs> years. There's a problem here. So I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll move halfway to Hillsville. And guess what? North Bayswater just happened to be about halfway. So I found a, uh, a building there which ticked all the boxes. It was the right size and uh, actually moved into there. And we actually uh, set up the distillery in North Bayswater. Uh, initially, rather than having a brewing section and having a distilling section, I used one of the local brewers to do uh, the job for me for five years. Yep. Then, then finally said, no, we'll do the whole lot ourselves, from grain all the way through to bottle. So that's, that's, when, that's how we did that. The problem was that 
It's very difficult to get to North Bayswater if you're coming in, flying in from overseas, or you live in the other side of the city. So we were having difficulty getting people to come out to Bayswater uh, just to try our whiskies. So that was a problem. So um, we started looking around to see what else there was. And um, we looked at quite a number of establishments. Most of them really weren't exactly what we wanted. They didn't tick all the boxes until uh, we found a place here. And it was fantastic in Kensington. It's uh, going to be a fantastic part of the world as we see more and more hospitality businesses open in the area. Are you, are you making friends with the breweries and distilleries that are around about the area already? Definitely are. We've, we've, we've known we were going to be moving into Kensington for probably four years now. So we actually spent quite a lot of time, early days, in establishing those partnerships, relationships. Bonehead Brewery, Hardyman's Hotel, a number of the restaurants and cafes in the neighbourhood. Winning the Community Cup at the Flemington and Kensington Can, Bowling yeah, Club. All that, all yes, that yes. groundwork back in the day, yeah. um, enjoyable it, groundwork. It's a hard job, but somebody <laughs> has to do it. Um, but um, and even with and even locals as well. So whilst we had multiple delays in actually moving in here and opening up, we did a series of events in the neighbourhood leading up to Christmas um, two years ago. Actually, we were up at. Black Hearts and Sparrows, the pub, we're at the Kensington Neighbourhood Market, and we were really building a vibe so that people got to know us before we moved in. And I think also importantly, let, allowed people to know what we were, what a distillery is, what it's not, um, and get a bit of a vibe for what, what, what our offering was going to be. And people have really taken us on with, with open arms and they keep knocking on the door what? and saying, when are you open? Well, that's one of the things that we constantly get people saying, are you open yet? We want to come in and try. We want to... So we've actually started some small tours so people can actually come in, they can try our whiskies, uh, but as the place is still in construction, we're still putting everything together and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, the proper tours probably won't start for another one or two months. Now, talking of, you know, we want to come in and try, I have shown more restraint in the last, well, ten and a half minutes than uh, <laughs> I have shown in a long, long time because we have a little glass ready to go here. Uh, tell us what's in the glass and take us right. a little, uh, little tour of it, now, if you'd be so kind. What we've done here, um, we actually do five different styles of whisky. Uh, we do the peated whiskies, which are the smoky, uh, resonant... Uh, whiskey, we do the unpeated. Um, what we've chosen today, uh, we call our double wood. Now, whiskies, the alcohol is matured in oak casks, and the oak casks mostly uh, are American oak, they are heavily charred and come from the US. Now, they're the ones we use for our unpeated wood. Most whiskies use those uh, use the uh, American oak. The other oak is a French oak, and French oak is which is typically used for wines. It's not charred. It means that when we put the spirit into the barrel, we're getting wood character coming through, whereas the charred barrels, it acts as a barrier and we don't get any wood character. 
Okay, it's called double wood. Why is this so? Initially, we we take some of the we we make the whiskey, the unpeated whiskey, and we mature it in American oak bourbon casks for five years, six years. When we get to the point that we're happy with it, it's then transferred into French oak. Now the French oak is virgin. It's never had anything else in it before, so we're not getting flavour transferred across. And we leave it in the French oak for uh, one and a half, perhaps two years. Now, one of the hard things we have to do here, working, is Mondays we come in and we have to check these French casks to make sure that it's not over-oaked. So we take samples of the barrels and we sit down and have a little bit of a chat about what the whiskey's like. So, but somebody has to do it. Absolutely. Well, it looks yeah. like you've yeah. been willing to shoulder that difficult now, job. So. As we know, no two trees in the world are alike. No two barrels will mature at the same rate. So it, it, it is impossible to say this barrel will be ready in two years, one year, whatever. The only way of doing it is to actually try the whisky and see how it's developing. And then we, all our barrels are numbered and we keep a record say barrel number 123, retry in six months. And so is this why, David, you don't have to taste every single one of the barrels that's out the back there on a Monday? Because you've got a lot of barrels out the back there. Uh, yes, we'd love to try that, but <laughs> that's exactly what. We keep every one of those barrels that we've got out the back is numbered. There's a reference for that particular number. And we've got a history of when it was sprued, how it was, and the comments, all the way through. Um, so that's the best thing. So the whiskey that, we, that you've got in your glass now is called a double wood. Now, if you nose that first, uh, you'll notice... I did, for the record, although I was in the process <laughs> of sipping, as you right. might have yes, Now, I hope you notice the glass that it's in. It's not a straight-sided whiskey tumbler. They're the worst possible glasses in the world to use. That's what they use in America, because in America, they use crushed ice. Ooh. <laughs> now, what crushed ice does is actually chills the whiskey down and closes the taste buds on your tongue. You can't taste the whiskey. So we don't recommend that. These are whiskey glasses. They're thin. They're, they're on a stem. And more importantly, we can hold them between two fingers and with our hand we can warm up. So if you put your other hand across the top of the glass, what's happening is the warmth from your hand is going into the whiskey, it's releasing the aroma because before there was no aroma on the whiskey, it was all in the liquid. So what's happening now is that the whiskey is releasing the aroma into the glass so that we, when we smell it, we can actually smell the aroma. Now, as you're doing now, you'll notice with this particular whiskey, it has wood character. That's coming from the French oak. Lucky I've got the big nose for the job here. It's a, <laughs> you know, it's a bonus. I think we should let David actually try some of the whiskey now. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, and I and I you wouldn't believe how much I actually enjoy glass nerdistry as well. So even a little roll on top is uh, useful for getting that the liquid to to move a little bit differently as it comes out of the glass. So. Exactly. And we know you're a beer man, David, but you just have to remember whiskey is just double distilled beer. So it's concentrated beer. It's, it's all that elements just shrunk down now, to now, a really now good that's, parcel. That's something that most of the population are never told. Because they're told that whiskey is something special. It's double distilled beer. But we have our secrets that, that give the particular flavour and the aromas. It's not that simple. But it's double distilled beer. Well, I've got to say, this is a delicious little treat too. Uh, I don't normally start the day with a whiskey. But starting the day at four o'clock yeah, in the afternoon, I hasten to, to add. I don't normally start my afternoon drinking. <laughs> I don't normally start my afternoon now, drinking we, with a whiskey, but this is a very approachable whiskey. We've to... got four more to do. <laughs> we won't be attempting all of that in the afternoon. I've, uh, I've still got some family duties to take care of tonight. Uh, but this is delicious, and I think you were saying earlier on that um, a very approachable one for people who are perhaps not au fait with some of the, the big sort of peated whiskies and so forth. Um, this one, a nice, a nice sort of soft way to start. Double Wood's the perfect uh, entry point, I think, to our whiskies. It's really quite it's soft, it's quite perfumey. Uh, it's getting a nice little hint of the oak there. You're getting a sweetness from the American oak, honeycomb, vanilla. A little bit reminiscent of a, of a Japanese-style whisky. Mm. Uh, so if people are coming in to buy for a gift or for somebody they're not quite sure what whisky is they really love, we sort of point them in the direction of the double wood. Hits most people's palates just really, really pleasantly. One of the things that I find is that whiskies are not just for drinking. A lot of people will get a glass and they'll just drink, drink, drink. For me, I love the aroma. I love warming it up and I'll just sit there nosing the whiskey until I can't stand it and I've got to drink it. But for me, the aroma is very, very important mm. and it changes as the whiskey opens up. So for people that are at home with their whiskies, please nose it and enjoy the aroma. And we were saying before, but we are, before we pressed the big green record button, uh, you've worked in not only with sort of uh, other Kensington breweries, but your barrels are an important part of one of Hop Nation's biggest beers, one of Victoria's most beloved beers. Uh, what's the story there? We've been really lucky to work with Hop Nation for probably five, six years now. Um, I can't even remember what the connection was. I just, I've loved their beers for quite a long time. Well, you, when you're talking chocolate, you're talking cheese, and of course, talking delicious alcohols, uh, you're talking some of my favourite things in the world. I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to come back and be part of some of those events when the doors officially open, but give us the time frames that you're working towards, because people will be listening to this and getting excited about coming to, coming to visit. They can finally start getting even more excited, because I would say we're probably a couple of weeks away from having our... Um, sales counter slash sly grog uh, <laughs> counter uh, for uh, sneaky whiskey sales on and off premises. So that's on the way very shortly. Yeah. So yeah. mid-February mid 2024 yes, for correct. people who might be listening into the future. Yes, you, you've actually seen, David, some of the, uh, the, some of the, the woodwork and uh, carpentry that they've been putting in place. And the lighting. And the lighting, very impressive. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're going to have to up our game with what we're wearing, I think, to, uh, to man <laughs> that counter. Um, that will be open largely during the week and on Saturdays. Um, and then later this year, later 2024, we'll be looking to have our full uh, distillery door bar experience um, where you can come in, uh, get comfortable, 
order your flights, have something to eat, um, events, those sort of things, and, um, and, and, and use the space a little bit more. Now that's gonna be more your Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and for special events. Uh, but we'll always have that uh, the, the Sly Grog sales counter running sort of during the week as well. So a couple of different different experiences on the way. And I'm presuming that you're on all the usual socials, so people can look up and learn more about the Bakery Hill story there. Do you have a, an online sales portal as well for people who are listening to this and going, gee, I'd better try that. David's impressed. Everything <laughs> that impresses David, I want to buy. How do they go about that? Definitely. Uh, obviously, Facebook, Instagram, our website, bakeryhill.com. Um, Please also, if you're just walking past us here on Macaulay Road, the door is open. We are able to talk to you and sell you whiskey and you know, get you excited about our distillery tours. So distillery tours, you can also book via our website so you can hear more of the gold, that, you know, some of the things that Dad, Dad hasn't uh, you know, exposed today. There'll be a little bit more available there. Um, so it'd be great to come in and, uh, and, see, and get to know people and um, yeah, introduce you to our, our distillery. Well, I'm really grateful for you guys taking the time and inviting me down today, and I'm looking forward to coming back for a full tasting in the not-too-far-distant future. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's uh, lovely to see you down here, and it's lovely to see the locals coming in. When, once, you once you've got the loyalty of the Kensington locals, absolutely, you'll be right forever. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. Okay, I hope you really enjoyed that conversation with David and Andrew from Bakery Hill Distilling. Really looking forward to being able to go out there again soon, taking along some of the Cool Room family and perhaps doing a vertical tasting of something like the Kalash with the blunderbuss alongside it. That sounds like it'd be great fun. Look, speaking of great fun, things that we've done, live visits that we've done. Recently, I went out to the Ramblers Alehouse with some members of the Flemken Bowls Club to hear one of our members and mates, Simo, playing on a Sunday afternoon in the band out there. Something I thoroughly recommend that you guys do as well. I know Mark from the call room, uh, the live Zoom room has already popped out there following the live show. Uh, looks like he had a great time out there. Look forward to doing a live show to follow up on this at some stage in the future. But without any further ado, let us meet Ben and Ben from Rambler's Alehouse. Well, hello and welcome to episode 214 of The Cool Room. Looking forward to a fun night tonight here, live in the Zoom room as we're chatting away to Rambler's Alehouse. Mr. Warren Wu has joined me. Mr. Warren Wu, we missed you in the last couple of episodes. We missed you when we were chatting recently to Brayside. We missed you down in Geelong on Tuesday when we ducked down there to visit Valhalla. That's your neck of the woods, mate. How are you? I should have been. Yeah, I would have loved to have been there. Uh, where was I? I was in Ballarat uh, visiting family and doing the whole holiday season kind of deal, which was nice. But yeah, Valhalla sound like it's good. I'll have to go back and listen to them. I haven't had a chance to yet. But that's, um, yeah, interesting. Excellent. Well, good to have you on board and looking forward to a good night tonight. Although I've got to say, you know, we, you and I managed to confuse ourselves at the best of times. I reckon we're going to get confused tonight, mate. Because we have not one, but two Bens to talk to. How do you reckon this is going to go? Yes. And we can't go Big Ben and Little Ben like we do with the Carwins either. No. <laughs> uh, we, often, uh, we often reference ourselves as Dr. Ben and, uh, I guess, Other Ben. Um, <laughs> me being Other Ben. Yeah. Ooh, Dr. Ben. Um, I will get, we'll get on to that. That's really good. All right. So I think we could uh, use that. Yeah, I'm we're totally using it. 
We're totally using it. All right, so Ramblers, let's let's jump right into it since since we've we've got you talking already. Uh, regular Ben, how about we start by you introducing Dr. Ben, letting us know uh, a little bit of history, but what he does around the place and what his favourite non-Ramblers beer is. Yeah, sure. I can do most of that. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Ben. I'm, I'm Ben Leslie. So um, I'm going to be introducing you though to Dr. Ben, who is Ben Cumming. Um, so we met through a mutual friend of mine who I went to school with and was a housemate of his. Um, and I know just sort of met so casually, I guess, and uh, started connecting over a mutual love of beer. Um, but uh, where mine was sort of you know enjoyment focused. Ben is a scientist at heart and is very much about the process. And he was homebrewing quite seriously before I even sort of thought about it. Um, and yeah, so he's a, a PhD doctor of physics um, in something complicated that I never quite remember specifically, something to do with lasers. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and he's very much, um, I don't want to say that the brain's behind things, but is the method behind everything. Mm-hmm. So every time we have a, a, a beer, um, it's one it's one thing to think of a, you know a good idea for a beer, but to actually make that work and make that balance work is is really really challenging. Um, and as a is a massive foodie and very much into uh, complex cooking styles and and trying to make things work. But it's the, that balance idea. Um, hmm. So so around the place um, outside of the serious business side of stuff is is our head brewer, um, and so. Very much from from start to finish, he's the one that, that makes the beer uh, around the place and makes sure that it comes through as something that we envisioned beforehand um, and nails it pretty well every time. Um, regular Ben, if yeah. you could, if you could just if if you could give Doctor Ben a PhD, like just just <laughs> like give him a. <laughs> a PhD. Uh, uh, okay, what, so what, it, what would it, his thesis have been on? Uh, look, probably on something like molecular gastronomy. Um, oh, yeah. That's not what yeah. it was. Yeah. It has something to do with um, very micro 3D printing lasers and and vision. You probably jump in on this. What is it? Uh-huh. What's it actually? Yeah, 3D nanoprinting. There you go. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, no, hold, on, about... is, no, hold on. I might actually, I read something recently, and Ben probably has nothing to do with it. But are you moving? Things around with laser, 3D printing things with lasers, like moving around tiny, tiny little things with lasers. Is that it, Ben? We didn't, we didn't manipulate them with lasers, but we certainly built the um, tiny, tiny things. So usually less than the width of the human hair in size. You'd print a full 3D model on that size scale and then use it for some purpose. Bloody hell. Yeah, very, yeah. very beer focused. Yeah, very yeah. small pints. Yeah. <laughs> tiny, tiny little, yeah. tiny little Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what else do I have to say about him? Uh, I don't know. He's taller than me. That's pretty exciting. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, but what's what's the, the big question here? Where we like to kick things off a bit is with those questions about you know what's his favourite beer that's not a ram yeah. beer. So, so I mean, not 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 a basic bitch, but definitely there's there's trends that are out there that, that Ben enjoys. Um, I know for a fact that he horns over mountain cultures um, status quo. Oh yes. Part, part of that's 
just because you know it's a well-made beer, but also from a brewer's perspective, there's stuff going on there that that we can't do, uh, and that that gets pretty exciting when you're drinking something. Um, so that's yeah, mm-hmm. most of that is having the equipment to do some of these things. Um, we, we're pretty small scale, um, but yeah, they that that would definitely be the one I think would resonate with him. Nice. Um, and, yeah, oh, David. Oh, I was going to say, let's play it back the other way. Let's, oh, yeah, okay, that's what you I know. Let's so let's hear from Doctor Ben, as he will now be known. Shall we call it the other Ben Midstrip Ben? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll just I'll, it was Ben Ben. Our ben mutual friend Courtney because it was Doctor Ben and Ben Ben and variations on that. Um, when she was talking to my wife, my now wife, trying to say who was who, so it was getting weird for a bit there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In terms of other Ben, do you have like an undergraduate degree that we can refer to you by? Or uh, I've studied several undergraduate degrees and passed none of them. Uh, but I do have a, um, I don't know. No, no is the short answer. Yeah. A, a cert for Ben. So we've got a cert for Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got, yeah, got one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Ben, fire away. Take us through and tell us where, you know, tell us your version of, uh, of how you met Ben. Yeah, I think it was... Um, with uh, a mutual friend, had a uh, those classic sort of uh, twenty liter fermenters of something bubbling away uh, in the apartment, uh, and the housemate at the time um, had been over as a guest. And Ben immediately saw that. Hang on, this guy's like brewing something. I was trying to start a brew club. He invited me along, and um, feel like brewing and like just chatting that beer and hanging out with people. So uh, went along to that one. I think it was like brewing a bag at the time when we started. Yeah. Yep. Um, but just be like, yeah, opened uh, well, from a very sort of chance encounter to have a, your home, his home open to everyone, including myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of great hospitality I saw on him. Um, then I went back, I think, every month for the, the next couple of years, just um, brewing beer with them uh, as part of the club. Um, I think what I liked about him was that, you know, that, that hospitality. It's almost like, uh, the, the sort of the group leader brings everyone together, uplifts everyone. Everyone's left out. Nobody's sort of like, going to have a bad time. Around there. Uh, this is all very favorite, nice and positive. Yeah. I was really looking for you guys to have a bit of niggle, but. No, know. we have to work very closely with each other as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what uh, I was starting to that favourite beer, which I would, I, you don't see each other um, drinking outside beers too often because you often just have like maybe something at work and then head home after a long day. Yeah. Uh, typical time for startups, um, uh, but he loves the English special bitter. Raves oh. about it, um, and while I like it myself, it's just like no, I can't put that on the tap list in any great quantity because it just does not sell. Because you have the word bitter in the name, nobody wants that. Call it English pale, sure it's going to sell then, but ESB as a exact style of beer is not going to sell. Um, yep. So maybe limit your number of kegs there. I think it's, it's, it's on the, the list of things to do, perhaps this year. Um, but yeah, I think it's because you, you spend a lot of time over in uh, uh, the UK, sort of a working holiday sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know a lot of good breweries over there doing them. I was uh, working in, in pubs, English pubs, and, and did a bit of cellar master work with um, some real ales. So that was yeah, sort of the, the start of that craft beer or that world of beer. Passion, I guess. So. You'll probably have the same generation I was. When me and my friends went over and they were living above the pubs they were working yep. in. Yeah, yeah, lived in a pub for, for 18 months. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. 
Um, we need to say sort of early on in the process, uh, you're out at the venue tonight, so there's a bit of background noise there from the venue, but that's half the fun of doing these shows live. Yep. Uh, all of our listeners over in Tahiti and the Bahamas, and for that matter, Sydney, shout out to Crofty, welcome in from Sydney, mate. Um, describe a bit whereabouts in Melbourne you are and paint a bit of a picture and Look, we don't normally ask the question, but it's relevant this time around. Tell us the history of breweries and venues in your area of Melbourne. Yeah, um, no worries. Uh, so we are in Hawthorne in Melbourne, which is uh, sort of easterly. Um, we're sort of not a, an inner suburb, but we're also not an outer suburb. You probably call us innerish. Um, we're part of a, it's quite an important divide. There's a big part of Melbourne that for a very long time was dry. Uh, it sort of followed the prohibition uh, phase, yeah, phase of, of um, the US and they, they went dry sort of in the early 1920s um, and so there's a, whereas parts of Melbourne where there's pubs on every corners there's you know huge swathes of Melbourne where there is it's, it's been completely dry with no licensed venues um, outside of restaurants even so pretty limited as well um, uh, and we're right on the cusp of that line um, that, that's now changed, like only very, very recently. A couple of years ago, that's all sort of been flipped. Um, when I say dry, I'm, the way most places get a permit is that you apply for a permit and when people say they don't want it, they, you don't get it. Um, to be a licensed venue in this part of Melbourne, in this eastern part of Melbourne, you had to get people to approve your permit as opposed to deny it. As in like a local plebiscite. This is... Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so most places didn't do it. There's a few RSLs, um, you know, in the sort of 20 kilometres, you know, outwards of us, and that's about it. Um, but, yeah, so the, the shire itself is called Burundara, um, where we are in, in Hawthorne. It's actually a fairly established suburb. It's got a lot of sort of old blue brick um, sort of large properties, uh, but it's also got a lot of medium and high density living as well. You've got a university, you've got lots of sort of private schools, you've got um, good public transport. You know, we're on, we've got two trams that stop at our door and we're on a corner and going the other way, like you know, 20 metres away, there's another tram as well. So, so it's very much inner suburban uh, sort of living, but um, also sort of mixing with a very and established. Importantly, it had that lack of drinking establishments because of the former dry zone. So a big market just for even just a venue serving uh, wine and spirits. There's just very few around the sort of area because of that former sort of dry zone. And I guess not too many people wanting to test the waters. The other aspect was there's no industrial zones in this Shire Council either. Yeah. Um, so the most you've got is like various levels of commercial. Um, so most people, when they think craft beer, they're thinking of taking over the world, going whole Sierra Nevada, right? Um, start small, big, expand, expand, expand. Um, we wanted to take it out a little bit different. Just wanted to create a place for locals to drink, and so Hawthorne had this void of breweries because there's no space for an industrial site for people to go big. So we played um, uh, our application to the council sort of very specifically. We had a whole bunch of precedent from the neighbouring uh, council areas, particularly Yarra Council in Melbourne. We've got Burnley Brewing as a venue brewer, yeah. uh, Bodrigi Brewing as well, venue brewer. Hmm. Um, so they had the precedent that. The Victorian planning scheme, you're allowed to have it in this area. So Hawthorne, because there's a void of breweries because of industrial zone lacking and the lack of drinking venues because of the dry zone. So it was a, it was a calculated location. Um, but in saying that, uh, we both didn't grow up in Melbourne, but 
Ben's entire time, Dr. Ben's entire time living in Melbourne for the past 20 years has been in Hawthorne. So it was an area we're familiar with and had a connection to as well. So this it worked in two ways. This is pretty great. Look, I can tell Warren wants to spend his night asking questions about lasers and nanotechnology, but we've already got local plebiscites and local planning laws, which is totally the rabbit hole that I like to disappear down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, let's give us a bit of a feel. We can see in the Zoom room, uh, Dr. Ben has managed to rig up some of those lasers to uh, do a little light show above in the venue. But for those who aren't in the venue with us tonight, just describe sort of how it all fits together, indoor, outdoor spaces, and, yeah. and what it's like on a Thursday night. Yeah, no worries. Um, so, yeah, the site we actually are in is an old mechanics garage. So big sort of warehouse feel. It's got a big arched sort of roof. Um, it's 100 and, about 100 years old. So it's a 1920s build. Um, so big brick walls, concrete floors, quite a high ceiling, um, and it has a, a covered front, um, hmm. like a little awning, I guess you'd say. Uh, it's, it's licensed for about for about 150 people, um, so it's not it's not tiny, um, it's not massive. We, we've been fairly conservative, I guess, in seeing how many people we can fit in here, because you know a lot of hard services makes it pretty noisy. But we've filled the place with as much greenery as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and um, on site, we have a 500-litre brew house um, uh, and we have a, a dozen uh, tanks, uh, which half of them are uni tank fermenters and the other half are sort of bright tanks. Um, uh, so that, that's on display to people at all times, um, but we don't brew really well there, I think, because, you know, it's pretty noisy. Um, and we have a, a bar which has... Uh, we've got 16 taps, well, 15 taps, uh, and we have a cider running, um, which we don't make, but um, everything on site is brewed on site and served on site. So we don't really do a lot of distribution. It's very much focused on, on people coming here and, you know, consuming it here and, in, you know, having that Rambler's experience. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And um, on a Sunday afternoon, we know that means live music as well with my mate Simo from the Fleming yeah, that's Club. Right. So yeah, shout yeah. out to Simo, who's going to be listening in, I know, uh, in the not-too-far-distant future. He told yeah. me that half an hour ago on the bowls practice screen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, uh, we do have live music on a Sunday afternoon. We do a few things throughout the week. I mean, I guess the joys of being a, a, a venue, um, that, that community-focused venue, is you can be pretty flexible. Um, so we do like a trivia on a Wednesday. You know, we have for the private functions, I guess, on a weekend if people want to have a little party, but nothing too too serious there. Um, Thursday nights, uh, pretty relaxed. We've, we have a food truck as a kitchen. It's our own food truck, so it's a permanent one. And, you know, so we have, like, burgers on. But it's this time of year is, I don't know, people wandering through. It's not super busy, but um, it's always a bit of fun on a Thursday. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we should talk about the beer we're all drinking. We yeah, sure. Yeah, my one's really delicious. So Stonecutter Hazy Parallel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, this is uh, the second Hazy Ale uh, uh, we, we produced after our Juice Loosener. Um, so Stonecutter, um, this is all about trying out hops with different flavour profiles. Um, yep. So Stonecutter uh, is a reference to a couple of things, one of them being stone fruit. So mm. I saw that he, with the New Zealand hop uh, crops coming along, uh, a lot of stone fruit characters coming out there. And I was a little bit sick of having from a lot of US varieties, very sort of tropical or citrus dominant sort of flavors in IPAs and hazies. So I really wanted to get some um, New Zealand hops uh, on hand and try brewing with that one. So, so stone color is all about that um, uh, the stone fruit character in there. So apricots, um, um, that nectar, uh, nectar, nectarine, 
Yeah. You're always going to get that bit of a tropical character, and part of that's just the brewing process that we do as well. Um, aiming for that sort of like hazy sort of orange character to really make it stand out on the table. You get all those little light sort of straw-coloured hazies. Wanted this one to be that orangey colour, trying to mimic that nectarine peach um, sort of colour in the glass. I uh, wanted to be immensely sort of drinkable by most people as well. And it straight away shot up to like number three in the sales. Um, one of my favourites um, um, here as well. Now, you referenced in there that there's a, the name comes from a few things, uh, part of it being uh, the stone fruit. The, the secret society of the New Zealanders on their little island um, <laughs> out across the Tasman. Um, that's a Simpsons reference. There's a few Simpsons references throughout our one, what you call it. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought yeah, that might have been the case, and I thoroughly approve it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to be too weird about them, but we're doing enjoy a bit of pop culture when we can. So, you know, look at the market for craft beer at the time we started. Average age, 38. Yeah. Average yeah. age of the Hawthorne resident, 38. Simpsons yeah. references, 38. Sort of, you know, it's going to be like, yeah, it hits that market. Everyone who comes in sort of smiles a little bit when they see it. So, yeah. But, but it also does remind me, because I had to come out and pick up the beers from you, Dr. Ben, out at the venue. And the front door was open. It was a rainy sort of funny day in Melbourne in the middle of summer. But I thought I heard someone singing the Stonecutter song. In fact, I thought I heard sort of seven or eight people. And then when I opened the door, they all just, there was this flurry and this scurrying. And then it was just sort of you standing by yourself. But Yeah, you're not meant to say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as a beer, this is... um. I mean, it's, it's, it's a trend style of beer. I mean, hazies are very much very, very popular. Um, yeah. And it, I guess is something that I think you wanted to talk about anyway, but it's a style that I don't really necessarily see going away. Um, beer traditionally has been, you know, reputationally, an acquired taste because it has things that are, that are challenging people to drink, only bitterness um, and mm. Your noble hop character, I wouldn't have the adjectives that describe noble hops, sort of your grassy, herbal, earthy, um, not particularly appealing characters when you want to serve up something culinary to someone. Yeah. Um, but that's how beer was traditionally done before we had these massive breeding programs throughout the US focusing on the, uh, uh, the fruity characters, your citrus and your tropical ones, which are just much more appealing. So the, the lack of bitterness, I think, means hazies are going to be sticking around for a long time. Lack of bitterness means that they're very, very approachable here without without crowd. Um, both males and females uh, enjoy them in abundance. And, yeah, the evolution of that style. Um, but in general, that concept of big fruit flavour, low bitterness, I think, is not going anywhere. To um, be yeah. how people, different people approach it and what they do subtly and what they do obviously, you know, sort of see where things sort of go. You sort of touched on this a bit um, in terms of this has become your number three bestseller. Does that mean it's core range? And it's sort of a bit of a yeah. Sort of yeah, I'm quite like bitter about one. it, actually. So we, we have, essentially, we have 15 taps of beer running at all stage, and we've divided our, our menu into two sides, one side being a core range, which we try and have a really good range on. Um, so there's actually eight beers that are always on for us. Um, and then the other side sort of rotates. Um, so for this to become core range meant that something had to leave, and it was unfortunately the West Coast IPA that we make. Um, so I was pretty disappointed on that. But oh. yeah, it's still, it's still around a bit. But it's, yeah, yeah, this is just heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, so we have a core range. I'm going to rattle them off for you all, just so you understand what we do. So um, you know, there's a there's a pale ale, which is uh, we call it the Pacific Rim. Um, uh, it's a 
pale ale that uses hops from around the Pacific Rim. Um, uh, pretty easy drinking, fairly, uh, I wouldn't call it a challenging drink, um, but we're also, we're not really playing to craft beer drinkers for a beer like that, rather uh, just average beer drinkers and people who are for something a bit more casual and, and easy drinking. We also got an XBA, which is our Riversdale XBA, just named after the address that we're on, we're on Riversdale Road. Um, a really different approach to an easy drinker, um, not as much fruit character, a bit more bitterness. Um, and then there's the hazy pale ale, so you get those three hop-driven easy drinkers. And then we've got a hazy IPA, which is the juice loosener, um, which is another subtle symptoms reference. And then there's a, a lager, an easy drinking lager, an Irish stout, um, a red ale, sort of an Irish red ale, which is probably my pick of our four range. And we do a, a sour, which is a hawthorn sour, which uses hawthorn berries, honey, and, and uh, rice, um, which is this, uh, an interesting beer, but one way. Struggling with hawthorn berries at the moment, so it's not actually pouring. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about the beers, uh, what we no normally do is um, just start, jump to the last one very quickly. Yeah. Uh, the co the Coco Coma. Um, would it be a good idea to take it out of your fridge now if you're one of our listeners on our podcast? Um, not necessarily. This isn't necessarily a big, thick, dirty winter beer. It's actually really quite clean drinking and, and it's the idea of balance again um so we like on tap it isn't treated any differently it still comes out of the standard you know 12 psi carbonation still comes out really cold um yep. the idea is that it, it, you will be able to nurse it if you want to and that 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 change in temperature won't hurt it you know it bring yep. out a bit more character but you'll find even cold you're going to get the balance that we want and that that coconut complexity so i wouldn't stress i, I wouldn't yep. yeah cool okay good question warren <laughs> It's just, just uh, we normally forget. So I'm just yeah. uh, impressed with myself that we remembered to mention that. And uh, the answer came back much better than I thought it would. Um, <laughs> in terms of in terms of the range, so so the stone cutter uh, got the call up to be an opener, so that's great. Um, if in terms of the tap room and and the range which is on tap, how much? Do do these are driven by the feedback from the people who come into the tap room? Uh, well, I'd say um, it's very focused on what people want to want to drink, mm -hmm. um, and that, that makes like makes the most sense that people are they're, they're the ones sort of handing over their money for the product. Yeah. So yeah. Like, the, the, that, that, yeah. that English special bitter thing, um, yeah. too many sort of uh, too many um, unpalatable things is he's not going to get your sales for on those ones. So. Yeah. Um, so we do, I think, focus on what people want to drink. And at the moment, we started with that being the Hawthorne market. So not necessarily focusing on the craft beer market. Mm -hmm. So the craft beer market, we may have gone for a lot more sort of IPAs in that mix of different kinds. Um, but very much the uh, people coming in go, they want those easy drinking ones, they can have several of. So um, the and, core and range focuses on that. Range to be able to then have stuff more uh, adventurous and more craft beer focused. People can do those things, but making sure we had a diverse core range and quite a broad core range so that you know you weren't tied down to just being an ipa yeah, venue absolutely our venue um yeah it was yeah. quite important for us a part of that part of that means um is it uh like why are we give why are you giving you a coconut um porter in the summer lineup that's um, this, that, that is exactly the question i was moving for yeah, and so it, it, it's is it is there another question came out on the sours we had sort of like released a peach sour and a, a lovely german lady came in and go this is absolutely delicious but it is not a winter beer 
and you know, Germans can be quite sort of upfront and sort of like this, could not accept at all that this was a, um, a summer beer brewed in yeah. winter. Yeah, but like she uh, drank one. people she bought one. love sours. Uh, people yeah. love sours. They want yeah. sours. They come in asking yeah. for sours. Yeah. So we're going to brew that sour. So the coconut right. one is it's this whole idea that we are like we have this Christmas thing happening in Australia in 40 degree temperatures, not this year. Um, yeah. uh, but with all the food and drink and flavors of a white Christmas. Uh-huh. So how, and this happened with the Kanban calendars as well. So there's lots of sort of big heavy beers in there, maybe not necessarily suited to Australian warm weather. Um, so how can we make a, a beer that fits sort of that Christmas holiday theme? I want a desserty type beer, but I just don't want to be hit with a crap load of lactose or thickness yeah. or richness uh, in summer weather. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about the coconut porter when we get to it, but both Ben and I found variations on like a, a coconut dark beer in hot countries. I was in like Hawaii and uh, Maui Brewing does a coconut dark yeah. and um, Dr. Ben was in Vietnam and found a coconut. Yeah, Pastor Street Brewing Co, I think another um, toasted coconut, coconut one there. So, yeah. so, so like these, it, it's an interesting idea and we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll also get into it when we talk about the, the dunkel as well, but, but just because things are dark doesn't mean that they're not able to be refreshing. Yeah. Like so, that. there's a lot of not not biases, but we're we're just we're brought up in certain ways to you know it's because Guinness comes from Ireland, which is cold, and it was such a big component of these dark toasted stouts. Hmm. You know? um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah I don't buy into seasonal drinking. Today, today's brewery, the brewery was um, a stout as well because people still come in asking, "Have you got a stout? Have you got a stout?" So, just, and this might be the first time I've mentioned on the past podcast that Nigeria is the largest consumer per capita of Guinness of any country. So. Yeah, 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 totally believe that. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to just steer us back as well. So, uh, yeah, where thanks. Rambler's Ale works, um, which is we, this, this rambling concept comes from the fact that we were, a, we were a brew club and we're a bunch of friends who didn't actually have much in common, but we did travel and we all liked beer and we would bring back beer styles from where we've been. So whether that might just be going to Queensland and bringing back uh, watery mid-strength or going, you know, <laughs> through Vietnam and bringing back flavours from there or I lived in Europe for a while and, you know, introducing, you know, trying to brew European-style beers. So we sort of had this this journeying palette where we were able to sort of try stuff from all over the place. Um, and so some of the things we produce, we try and, you know, aren't necessarily seasonal, but there's definitely this, this range of, of beers that are coming from other places and, you know, that coconut water that we get to will, is very much from from hot places. That, yeah, mm-hmm. it's quite an interesting one. I remember that question. I was going to ask that much earlier on. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Work, I, we forget about it. Yeah, because um, <laughs> it's uh, like we also didn't want to be Hawthorne Brewing Co., um, which I think already exists already anyway. Taken, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we want it to be something that people can you know enjoy and and participate in, um, mm. and, and not be sort of. And still hyper community, but not hyper local. Yeah. Well, I think you've laid the groundwork very well there, and I can see in the Zoom room that people are starting to make the leap to the dunkel. Yeah, um, right. let's do it. Let's open the can. Let's pour it out and see what what's in the glass, and start to talk about. It takes on a little tasting tour, if you will, through what we should be seeing in the glass. Yeah, exactly. well, I'm going to pour a couple quickly. Um, ben, you want to talk about what a dunkel is? Well, yeah, why doesn't, why doesn't Dr. Ben introduce the concept for people who are newer to craft beer of what a Munich Dunkel is? I got introduced to Dunkel um, in uh, Munich 
uh, over in Germany. Um, one of the original uh, uh, beers brewed after the uh, purity laws and rice group came in. Hopefully that was enough time for everyone to pour themselves a, a dunkle. Oh, um, yeah. And just quickly, uh, Dr. Ben, the head retention in the head is just awesome. Um, like, just a really great... Uh, of all the dark, uh, sort of dark beers we've done, I think it's one of my favourite. Um, yeah, just a uh, big luscious so badunkadunk uh for the for the name sort of like it's just like a voluptuous um uh, uh lager but it's still quite uh, refreshing so um what they what is what, what is a sort of a dunkle, uh, german dark lager it's a lager uh lagers do not have to be um your, your, your sort of your, your pale sort of uh low flavor beers mm-hmm. as it's brewed with um uh that lager strain of yeast uh saccharomyces pastoriamus and then just stored for a bit of time to let sort of those um, uh, unwanted flavors sort of uh, disappear and give you a nice clean um, beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, like, look at it. You, you do have quite a bit of clarity in there. It's not actually black, black. You almost get that sort of ruby red, which you sort of get with some like dynasty type things as well um, when you get a little bit light behind it. Um, but you're looking at those classic toasted flavors. You know, you get that sort of coffee bean roastiness um we, we try to really hold back on bitterness in general unless it's something that we're specifically chasing um so we're not trying to get too much of that acrid burnt bitterness um when we make our stout we go to a process of cold steeping the, the, <laughs> the grain so stick, stick on this one so yeah um the, the idea with the low the low bitterness from the, from the grain component is yeah don't call sort of dark you need some roasted grains in there to do that um so we've got a base of a sort of like a standard sort of ale malt uh, throwing in some sort of uh, crystal malts in there. I think we're using medium crystal malt. So you get sort of those unfermented sugar components uh, helping boost the body. I didn't want it to be, he likes the thinner dunkles. I like the sort of the thick, more voluptuous ones. So the crystal goes in there to keep that, um, uh, that mouthfeel up, that sort of thickness up. Then on the roast side of things, if you roast barley with the husk on, you're going to get some astringent flavors from that roasted husk. It's the, really the roasted starch that you want to go into your, your beer. So instead we do something different where we cold steep it in order to um, uh, keep high temperature away from the husks of the roasted barley. Here, we use um, some uh, German malt, Weyermann's um, dehusked barley. So Carafa Special 3, I think. Um, dehusk it before the roasting process. Therefore, you're just left with that starch um, uh, receiving the heat and you get a much sort of smoother roasted character. So Malta done a very good job over there with sort of like getting the right um, de-husking uh, complete before they roast it. Um, and I think that is a key component of these sort of uh, beers and our darker beers is using these advanced malting techniques for advantage and the, the brewing techniques as well. Part of that is we are small. We're produced, we have a 500 litre brew house, so we're able to be more uh, specific of what we do. We don't have to use generic flavours. We can be a bit more... Selective because um, we don't have to buy a huge one yet. So, you know, they're, they're, I guess per litre, it's probably more expensive to produce than, than some things would be, but um, we're only selling in the tap room. We don't do a lot of, lot of um, distribution or wholesale. So, um, we're sort of able to have that flexibility and that freedom, which is really, really good for us. When it comes to lagers and smaller breweries, quite often we ask about the lagering process and the demands of having a tank which, which is tied up for extended. Uh, Times. Yeah, how do you guys cope with that? What's what? Where's the, the trade-off for you guys? Um, 
to something like that. Foresight uh, to purchase six bright tanks uh, along with six fermenters. That's an unusual ratio of bright tanks to fermenters. Um, one of the main reasons for this was that the bright tanks are also pressure vessels for serving tanks. Um, so to save space on cool room uh, with the kegs, we could serve directly from a, a bright tank. But also if we need to be lagering for a long time, and lagers to take a long time, but also hazies have quite a bit of tank time in a bright tank as well to get rid of that sort of hot burn bitterness. Um, we have enough tank space with foresight to do that. Uh, which, uh, Zoom will let me see uh, what's in my camera background there. Um, but there's uh, on top of each fermenter is a, a bright tank stacked vertically. So no lack of, um, no compromise on floor space. Mm -hmm. Same um, square meterage in the brewery, but six bright tanks sit above the fermenters. Awesome. You can do that with a 500 liter system. Starts to get problematic with a, a thousand liter. Not really possible at all with the, uh, anything bigger than that. So small helpers out there. Lots of bright tanks for lagering. Um, if you push the time as well, you can always go down the, the findings route, uh, which a lot of breweries do. Uh, add in some sort of vegan uh, finding agent to uh, bring all the uh, particulates and unwanted flavors out of solution. Can we indulge in brewery design nerd talk a little bit for a moment and just sure. sort of how you know, I presume this, as you suggested, was all thought through, but how much fun was it actually planning the brewery and how did the process go? Did you, did you spend a lot of time thinking about things like the bright tanks? Was it just that you'd been to a brewery where you saw that and went, oh, that makes uh, sense, let's do it? My background from science helped me out here. Um, when doing science, you want to apply for your next grant, you've got to be planning that thing meticulously for the next sort of three years. Um, so same thing was to, uh, moved over to this to sort of like ask the manufacturer for a sort of like a schematic scale it, put it into a um, design program, exactly figure out where it's going to go. Think about you then your process workflow. So what is the maximum length from one tank to your brew house? Um, is that going to cause, uh, my, my old man really stressed on this one, um, is that going to cause a trip hazard to anyone that's walking past the brewery? How can you minimize that? Shorter hose lengths are going to reduce your losses on a 500-litre system. That can be quite large component. Five litres trapped in a hose on a 500-litre tank starts to add up. We use the local brewery uh, our equipment, um, and they, they had this, this brew stack concept where they had a, a brew house that was essentially a two-vessel um, stack on top of each other, um, and they had these, you know, stackable fermenters and brights as well. So once we knew that you could use vertical space, it also frees you up to be a little bit more conservative with floor space and still have that 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 bigger uh, output. Well, it's not a big output, but we're able to be conservative in the amount of brewery, brewery space. In saying that, we'd double it if we could. And yeah, we saw it at Burnley. There's a comment in there. Um, so we had sort of seen some of this in, in play before. I've, I've got to say, Dr. Ben, while you were talking there about the process uh, other Ben was smiling broadly, and I'm suspecting. I spent an awful lot of time nodding when he was like, "Yes, that's a good plan." Yes, <laughs> I, I could, I could see that. Or everyone who's either a, a physicist—that's just you, Doctor Ben—or an engineer or other things was smiling broadly when you were talking about the process there and the schematics. Would I be right in saying that you know, under your bed, you've got like? plans for 10 or not, you know, 20 other breweries that, you know, depending on scale and yeah. so forth that you could, you know, if someone wanted um, to sit. Even, even, if we'd, even if we'd seen at this event, you've inspected it, then you can get like a, a start to sort of uh, lay out a floor plan, even though you haven't signed the lease for it. Sort of like, can we, can we work in here? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's quite a few sort of designs for different buildings before this one became available. I, I had that feeling. I had that feeling that you might have been playing with those schematics like my son plays with Minecraft and just starts to – you almost intuitively know what, what works and what doesn't without even having to actually put it on paper after a while. Yeah. Um, and shout out to all of the other physicists and biophysicists and related uh, specialities that we have in the room. I think we're probably the most overqualified Zoom room out there. And uh, and also, speaking of Burnley, I, don't, I reckon Michael would be pretty – Michael from – Formerly of Burnley, would be pretty impressed with this this uh, dunkel. Um, it's a treat. It's really, yeah, really fine, but still really delicious. It's really yeah. And, and this is about the time where I actually sort of start liking to talk about the beer because you've you've had it for a while. You're you're only tasting the dunkel now. You're not like other things. So you you've got a full palate experiencing it, but also you're starting to sort of see where where big flavors start overwhelming you. Um, so. So you can get a little bit of this bitterness in here, but it's that really lovely, almost that coffee, um, yep. as opposed to like a burnt toffee. It's much more sort of mellow, um, but still gives you a really full flavour. So when we talk about balance in in anything, um, but especially with, with the beers that we're, we're trying to produce is um, you want to drink the bottom of a pint. You know, you don't want to drink the first mouthful. You know, tasting paddles are lots of fun, but, you know, you don't get a full experience. You just sort of get to taste it. Yeah. You know, it's only yeah. when you have a, a large amount over a period of time do you go, okay, well, actually, what's happening here? You know, that flavour that I really like at the start is just like too much. I've got nothing else now. Yeah. So whereas I think this has a, um, a subtlety to it that, you know, doesn't overwhelm you but still has really good, rich flavours through there. Um, Did those not... two tasting pedals? I'm just trying to remember. I didn't. I ignored that for my own pint version of tasting pedals. So... Yeah, 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 which is challenging for drivers, yeah. <laughs> but luckily, all the locals just walk. Um, That's true. Yeah, yeah. And we're at top of a hill, so you know most people go downhill on the way home, which helps them. And two, two trams. I'd say most people talk to the council. They still make you pay for a traffic engineer to analyse the parking spot. Yeah, and <laughs> shout out to our friends at uh, at Moondog who uh, <laughs> have gone through that process in Footscray. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We followed that along pretty closely. I, I yeah, live up closer be... to the Moondog world, current Moondog world. So. Um, yeah, we followed them pretty closely on what they're doing, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's 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 a completely different story. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dunkel, let's go back to Dunkles. Um, tell us where was your first experience at Dunkles? Uh, um, yeah, how did that relate to this that we're tasting in our glass? But the, the one I mainly remember um, for me was it was an Oktoberfest experience. Um, yeah. Yep. I've always been drawn towards more malt character in beer than I have towards big hop character. Um, mm -hmm. Especially when I first sort of started drinking, there wasn't a lot of uh, fruity hop character. It was all sort of West Coast American influenced and, and big English bitters. Um, so so finding malty things always really threw me. And then going to Oktoberfest where the options were, you know, whatever the beer house was, their, their wheat beer or their, their lager, and then you got their dunkel and then they would have a radler. Um, and it was yeah. just... I, I was drawn more to the dunkel side of things and didn't know what it was really before that. Um, but, yeah. Um, mine would be the Beer Deluxe, formerly in Hawthorne. It was once the Undertaker yeah. Hotel, uh, then Beer Deluxe Hawthorne, now just an Italian restaurant. I believe they've kept it as the Beer Deluxe in the city. Um, yeah. Colleagues at, 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 at uni would uh, they'd come out for beer on a Friday night and we'd go to... Undertaker, and they had this range of uh, sort of German beers, Weichstephans, um, 
the Erdingers. So it was the Erdinger Dunkel. Oh, yeah. Got me. Yeah. Um, now, I think with Vitven, I've always had an attraction to sort of the multi flavors, uh, even throughout the home brewing process. I think the home brewing process makes it hard to do hops if you don't have proper kit. The standard sort of plastic fermenter, yeah. the ability to rack off from that without getting oxygen in, which would then severely inhibit hoppy beers, um, was a lot more uh, amenable to doing multi beers. Um, you might still get a bit of oxidation in there, but the impact on the malt flavor is less than what you would have on the, uh, the hops, and particularly the color. Uh, so your beer deluxe in Hawthorne, betting it don't Yeah, I was talking to the Lachlan who runs our food truck, was one of our brew club members, and his first introduction to Dunkel was us brewing one at brew club, and he was like, "What, what is this?" And yeah, he's now loves it, he's a big fan of it. Um, so that's sort of what that whole brew club origin story was for us as well as showing other people what these beers were and introducing them to new things and seeing if they can fall in love with them too. Yeah. And, and did your rambling take you over to some of those German and other sort of places, you know, in the fullness of time? Uh, yeah, not, not since we started up here. Um, so timeline-wise, we've just celebrated two years being open, which if you clock back, uh, lands are sort of at the end of 2021, which in Melbourne was big mm. sort of uh, industrial lockdowns from COVID. Um, so we haven't... It was, a, it was an interesting time to open a brewery, but it also means that we've sort of been, you know, played out like a ten-legged tap dancer. Just trying to oh, we're doing here. That oh, that's fantastic. Let me <laughs> um, uh, prior to the brewery, there was a conference in uh, Munich called Laser Focus World. So, of course, I made sure to submit to um, that conference every second year that it was running. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, and the boss would let me um, uh, go and then just like make sure you visit. Oh, I can't visit those six different breweries within the city limits. Make sure you visit them every trip. So, yeah. I love everything about that story, not the least of which is that the conference is called Laser Focus. Like, it's... Uh, 40,000 attendees tells you how big lasers are in science. So. <laughs> but, and James is... I like how James is doing the lasers. <laughs> is that what he was doing? I thought he was doing inverted commas for 40,000, and I wasn't sure what what he was trying no, to do. No, I reckon 40,000 people would go to a laser... <laughs> Um, <laughs> conference in Germany. So, a, a conference and like all the associated industries that are selling to you as well. So, yeah. Um, even think like automotive manufacturing wouldn't happen without lasers. So, there's all those lasers there being developed. Yeah. Um, lots of industries, barcode scanners, lasers. That's just like. I may right. have noticed no, 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 like, we, we could indulge ourselves with laser conversation yeah. all night. Let's oh, not. The, the extrapolation of the, the, the first Dunkel sort of question is, yeah. do you guys remember the first craft beers you tried? Like, you know, that sort of moment where you went from just drinking a normal beer somewhere to having a beer where you went, oh, hang on, that's something a bit Yeah, more very much. Um, Little Creatures Pale Ale. Mm. So to go from, I think it was like trying sort of Dad's sort of VB and Calm Draft and Melbourne Bitter, uh, and then see, oh, what's this one here? And you taste that. Uh, I think it was this straight out of the bottle, not even in the glass. It's like, whoa, what is this flavor? I think what, so it's exactly what, exactly what happened with like Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada, sort of like the first sip of an actual flavorful hoppy beer, you realize that a beer can have more flavors than this. So shout out to Little Creatures for that one. For me, I can't remember which one went first, but um, definitely Mountain Goat. I was working in a pub when I was very young and 
and it just started up and it was new and independent and, and they had like a amber ale and it just blew me away to have this rich multi-coffee beer that was considered beer <laughs> yeah um yeah blew me away but then also two barons so the I think they were a West Australian brewery called Two Barons. They had bottles and they had Australian flavours. One was a lemon myrtle, uh, might have been a lemon myrtle whip beer, and one was a, a black wattle IPA, I think it was. Um, yeah, uh, the Hightail Ambos that I've on there, just on the comments on the side. But yeah, yeah, the Two Barons black wattle. Um, I remember that was the first time I realised you could put flavours in beers and you, mm. you could drink things that weren't just plain. You had, had complexity. Yeah. Yeah, the Barons. Hey, look at this. People, people remember these beers. Yeah, I haven't thought about Barons for a long time. Yeah, yeah and the, the, talk about behind, yeah, before their time. Like in terms of adding, nowadays it's kind of a little bit edgy, but back then it would have been unheard. Yeah, that's right. Like, like craft beer wasn't, wasn't accepted. It wasn't mainstream at all at the time. And they were already pushing boundaries in what you could do with it by going with native flavours, you know, and, and now, you know, it's, it's one of the most celebrated things is for people to be able to be, you know, go for native flavours. And we have a, such a bigger range available to us, but, you know, some of those flavours still aren't being used again. I don't see waddling beer at all. Um, you, know, lots yeah, of, no. you know, fruits and berries and, you know, like pepperberries and, and finger limes and things that have been able to find a commercial availability. But, yeah, I just can't imagine how they sourced those sort of flavours and those sorts of ingredients, you know, back then. Yeah. Insane. Brilliant. Um, should we do ask the? We'll quickly ask the equipment question, and then we'll do a little break, and move on to the porter. How's that sound, David? Can I? I want to ask one question in between because there's that one question that I always get a little bit fascinated by, which is that question between you know you've you've been there, you've tasted these fun beers, you've come back, you're part of your home brewing club, you're obviously you know moving up and trying new and exciting things about that. Tell us a little bit about that sort of conversation you had about should we really should we really do it? Should we really open a brewery? And was there that sort of aha moment where you woke up one morning and went, oh, you know what? I think I've actually committed to doing it for real rather than just having another conversation around years of. Wouldn't it be fun that, if we did this? That time? one brew club where we're like, I was getting home, I think, and sort of like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to do this, going to do it. So, I mean, I've, I've, have a hundred pun thoughts a day. Um, most of them are pretty pointless and useless, but every now and then someone will be like, oh, that's not a bad idea. And you know, uh, I was working in a winery, a small boutique winery in the Yarra Valley, and I sort of was watching people do small independent Oh, did you beverages. make a shout out to that little winery? That, that yeah, working. Madden's Rise, it's called. It's um, yeah, yeah, a nice little cellar door right. on, the, on uh, Marinda Highway there, uh, corner of Madden's Lane. Um, but yeah, so I was sort of a bit of a dog's body there, helping in the vineyard and the cellar door and um, to, you know, vintage in a little bit. And I'm like, look, what can this happen? We could do this. And when Ben's like, you could do that. And then he's come back. It's like, so the numbers say, <laughs> and I'm like, really? Really? Is that viable? Like, hey, well, you know, like, sh should we talk about this? And, and I have an image of Dr. Ben, rightly or wrongly, in that conversation, having a whole lot of like poster-sized rolled-up bits of ah, paper and a hard hat already on, you know, coming in. There's, there's just a digital version of that, yeah. 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 Clear, clearing off a desk and whacking them, rolling them out and going, if yeah. we so, were going so, to do Yeah, so to probably be a little bit more honest about it, the, the, the conversation was about refining what that vision was, you know. So we didn't actually know what we wanted to do or how we wanted to do it. And he's like, well, you know, 
you, you can't just say, let's start a brewery. Everyone says that. Like everyone who's ever brewed beer in their garage or in their cupboard, you know, has said, no, oh, mate, this is great. We should start a brewery. Um, but actually going, well, there's, there's logistics about this, you know, who would, who would manage this? Who would, who would be able to run this? You know, you know, what, what does food do to a brewery? You know, and these are big, important conversations. Um, so actually having to stop and go, well, okay, let's, let's take, not five minutes, let's take a couple of days to actually go through some of these things ourselves and then come back and talk about it again. Um, and yeah, there's huge risks involved in, in anything. Um, but, you know, someone's got to, someone's got to do it. Why not us? You know, we might not be the best at it, but we hopefully won't be the worst at it. I'm not trying to take over the world, but we are trying to make some nice beers. So. Oh, and, you know, this is a classic example of a, a nice beer, mate. This is something I'm very much enjoying. And I love that enthusiasm and that moment of excitement and sort of danger when you're just sort of going, this is the whole broad thing we could do. How do we narrow it down? Yeah. How do we choose a name? How do we choose which beer? Yeah, how do we choose where to do it? You know, do we go, because we're like, do you do a destination brewery in the country? You know, do you work on a wholesale concept? Do you go for a taproom concept in the city? You know, like, and... We're, we've been pretty lucky that from the start, it's mainly been the two of us. There are other people involved from our brew club, you know, have a, a stake in this, but, but Ben and I uh, are the, essentially the owners. Um, so we've had to work together and that's meant talking to each other and finding out which way that, that, that you know, coin lands. So um, it's, it's been fun. Uh, it's been really rewarding um, and having someone who, who is able to push that and say, well, yeah, that's a good idea, but you need to be able to do it properly. So what if you did it like this? Um, it's been really good for me as someone who's more flighty rather than grounded. Um, also, I'd say more introvert, sort of socially anxious person. So to have the chatty one, the rallies, the troops, um, that's the other side of the equation. It was necessary. So the numbers and the, the chat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, as I said, that, that fathering that... Yeah, definitely, we, we both have strengths in different areas and that's been really important to what we're able to do. Mm -hmm. and, and Warren, I've just realised I do have one other question before I let you rip with your with your equipment question, which actually shows that I did some research in this particular instance. And that is, um, for breweries that, you know, have been open for a couple of years like yourselves, how important are awards and how important is recognition like things like the Gab's upcoming breweries. Um, uh, you know yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, um, where we want to be, or where we are now, not super sort of important because we're focusing on the locals. So at the moment, we're not really distributing um, anywhere significant. We have a few sort of wholesale orders here and there. Um, but most of our retail comes from the tap room. Um, people come in for the takeaways or for the, um, the pints and pots from the, from the taps. So winning award there, I don't think a lot of our locals would simply know what GABS is um, or know what the IBA awards are. Um, but we're changing that. We're now we're seeing we've got a good sort of local following. We're going to try to boost that this year still. Um, and now we're going to try to sort of get a bit more uh, exposure to the craft beer in market in Melbourne. That's where we want those awards. So we threw in some um, beers to the IBA Awards in 2022. Mm. Um, this stage, we're canning from the tap, from the tap into can. Using a um, 500 mil cans. 500 mil cans. So the worst possible way to try to keep oxygen out of a can. Uh, still won three bronze awards with that. Uh, this Coca-Cola was one of the ones that won a bronze award. I think it was also at the time we submitted it, it was 
three months old, I think. So on bronze on a, an old beer can from the, the tap into 500 mil can. I was happy with that. Um, last year, the awards came at a time when everyone was feeling the penny pinch uh, sort of crunch for the IBA award. So we skipped that one. We'll go again uh, this year. And uh, then Gabs comes along. Um, we've submitted a, a container beer. We'll see if that gets up. Um, I think you'll enjoy it if, it if it does get up. Um, and then we want to be that up and coming race. We want to start to sort of get noticed out there. And Gabs is the best way to do it. It's like thousands upon thousands of craft beer people going through those halls. Uh, didn't quite have enough capital behind us to maybe run our own stall at, at Gabs. Given that we don't um, distribute, that marketing return is not immediately huge. But then HBA uh, and Gabs sponsored this uh, up-and-coming brewer stall. We wrote, we just wrote our story. We wrote what we like to do with beer. We like what beer types we like to do, um, and that must have resonated with them because against all the breweries uh, submitted, twenty odd something from from Melbourne alone, and there's other ones. Uh, they saw our story as the sort of the one they wanted to put forward on their little tap uh, for breweries. So that's going to be important for us, I think, yeah. to boost the craft beer focus. And that's only just been announced. So the fact that you knew of it was like the first public knowledge I, I was aware of. So, yeah, we're very, so, very so proud. But, research um, yeah. Griffiths, they call me. I may not be a physicist, but I know how to do yeah. it. Yeah, well, well done. So, yeah, uh, come into Gabs, come check out the up-and-coming brewery stand and uh, you'll see our faces. Yeah. The, the awards mm. front um, and the, the recognition is a bit hard as well. I was in La Serene's Elfington uh, before it got uh, shut down due to that asbestos incident. And I really like their sort of uh, a lot of their easy drinking beers, um, despite being farmhouse, um, that are funky in there. They're nice and easy drinking. I asked them about do you submit to any awards and they said, not really. They don't really fit to a style. Um, so you can either brew to a style or you can sort of brew what you want to drink. And let's say the, the, the ratio here is probably 40, 60 to style to what we what sort of what we drink. Uh, like the Auburn Red Ale, absolutely cracker of a red ale beer with too high a percentage outside that um, style guide. Yeah. Um, so you can maybe try to sneak it in. They may hopefully nobody pays attention to what the ABV is written on the keg. Um, so that one sort of can't do it. Our juice loosener hazy IPA, another cracker and favorite. Yeah, I think it's number four. No, no, no. It's got bitterness deliberately, adding hops on the hop side of the, the brewing process. Because a lot of hazy beers, in my opinion, are too sort of they haven't got enough depth of flavor. Depth of flavor coming from hot side addition of hops, hmm. uh, in addition to whirlpool, in addition to dry hop. But that means there's bitterness in there, and the judges are very well trained Cicerone sort of judges. They pick it up and then they. You're not going to get the sort of the gold medal out of that one. Um, so I probably won't submit it again, knowing that they pick up that sort of level of detail. Um, but it's still a cracker of a beer. It's got that little balance part. Of it. You hear this comment from um, people as well. So. Having what? seen the process and being kind of part of it on the wine side, there's a lot of beers where the judges will sit there and go, oh, this is delicious, but it's not the style. Yeah. So... Yeah, and we had to discover it on our journey as well. So, you know, <laughs> we just we we're aware that some of the things we love won't ever get recognized. Um, but we also get we're very proud when something does get recognized. You know, it's that horrible balance of, oh, yeah. we, who needs these awards? And like, oh my God, we got an award. You know, so where do you, yeah, it's a, a, a fun balance to try and, try and get. 
Um, so my other question is, and I'm just going to dive in before we take a quick break. Um, being a small brewery, what's what's the bit of kit that you guys would really love to have? What's the next one on your wish list that you want to? Another another question for me. Um, centrifuge. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> particularly though, particularly I think they're what. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a lot of money, but I want to make someone to make sort of a small version. Even if I don't throughput um, on our scale is not super important. Just want it to be um, smaller sort of scale. But uh, drinking the uh, status quo from sort of mountain culture and hazy with an incredible amount of hop aroma and character, really bright, but none of the hop bitterness you get from um, sort of dry hopping. Um, there's a couple of aspects that they have aspect to. They they can go they can go to the Yakima Valley Hop Club and they can select the lots of hops with the properties that they want. So they get first pick. I get the bagged up sort of uh, reasonably sort of mixed lots, but you can't mix too much. Otherwise, you have to throw everything out when one bad lot comes through. Um, they can pick the right hops, but then they have the centrifuge where they can spin it, spin the beer, all the uh, uh, the polyphenols, sort of that hop burn tickle the back of your throat that, that comes with hazy beers in the early stage of life, they all get thrown to the side and can be drained out. So they can do that with theirs and make an incredibly, incredibly smooth beer. Uh, for us, um, we, we use these, these finding agents as much as we can. So it's either time in those bright tanks, stick, stick it up there for two weeks. With hazy beers, fresh is not best. It's, you, most breweries are going to be storing it lot, um, in those bright tanks for a while um, to let those particles... Uh, polyphenols drop down and it becomes a much more palatable beer. But it will, uh, let's call it a centrifuge would make that much, much easier. And question on the side of that, when you say small. Yeah. Uh, Great question. Is this, uh, like, you know, in terms yeah, of bench, bench reactors, so I think Alpha, alpha um, is the smallest one. I think it's like 1.7 by, uh, 1.7 meters by 0.8 meters, I think. Uh, but weighs like also like 300 kilograms. Yeah, like it's the size of a, almost the size of a person so <laughs> lengthwise. So it can take up a bit of floor space. Um, but also a, a simple volume of like for a 500 litre tank, you consume a lot of the volume in the actual, just the centrifuge itself. Um, table, tabletop sort of size centrifuge. Uh, maybe like, you know, we're going to try like two, two, four laptop sort of size. It might be able to process a 500 litre tank um, in a good amount of time. I'm not sure if it's possible, but I don't know about, sure about the physics of, I've thought about it, but I'm not sure what it is, about the physics of scaling um, uh, spinning disc centrifuges. So. I, I reckon that after we've had, we're going to have a little pause here in the Zoom room, we're going to have a couple more beers, and by the end of tonight, we'll have sorted out the physics of it. Then all okay. we need to do is to find some entrepreneur to go out and actually do it. Um, if we don't have the brains in the room to do it tonight, we're never going to have the brains in the room yeah. at one time. Um, that's that's on the uh, that's on the cold side of the brewery. Is there the other one uh, that Ben is very interested in? Is oh, what I would give for a canning machine that worked perfectly every time. Yeah. I thought that might have been the request, having come yeah. and visited Ben first time, where he was out there, you know, having finished his Stonecutters song. Just laboriously canning can by can all afternoon. Yeah, yeah. You see, it's, 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 can, it's yeah, can by can load and unload, but the process is automated in between. Yeah. So it will uh, purge, fill, um, lid and seam, or uh, rinse and blow off all by itself. But you just have to manually load one after the other. Uh, 
Yeah. Listening to Brayside last week, um, I think their system is the same. It's um, sort of sort of manually loaded, but it's all automated in between. As someone who likes machines, having visited Valhalla, as I said at the very beginning of the podcast, they've uh, they've picked up. I think it was Yuli's old canning line, which is probably that next one on from where you guys are in yeah, terms yeah. of you know four cans next to each other kind of thing. That yeah, we, we've done a few things where we've been able to get whatever we can and had to make that work because we were early days, um, which normally is okay because we're able to make it work. Um, but yeah. Canning equipment is, is very expensive, even for um, the, the worst quality so, ones. So, so on yeah. the canning side of things, there's, there's a couple of companies out there doing canning machines around like $80,000 mark. Um, we're using Kegland's uh, automated cannula. Um, a lot of bad. Um, it's Chinese sort of made rebranded Kegland over here. Um, a lot of Chinese English on the screen. Um, few questionable choice of part materials uh, and layout of things. Mm-hmm. Um, like washing down the cans too close to the uh, the seamer. Uh, <laughs> clean, they get then sprayed again. Um, but yeah, it we've been we've been able to get it work. Yeah, uh, not without some issues though. We just swear a lot. Yep. And I thought cannula meant something else, but that might be just yeah. Me. That, that was their clever pun. Yeah. Yeah. Not normally it's a needle. It's a <laughs> it's a, a medical. It's a know. tube insertion. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's not. We're not here to do tube insertion talk. We're here to do beer talk. Let's have a little pause so we can freshen up our glasses. We will get everyone who's in the Zoom room. They can unmute for a few minutes. All the physicists can come out and I can learn what an Allurator is, even if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And then we'll get back underway very soon with the Coco Coco. Well, here we are. We're back with all of our favourite Ben's uh, talking everything to do with Rambler's Ale House. Uh, looking forward to tasting the Cocoa Homa and getting into a big discussion about porters, a big discussion about coconut. We've already had a bit of a discussion online about that on our Facebook page during the afternoon. Coconut, beloved by some, not so much by others. And so we'll get into a bit of a discussion about all those sorts of things uh, and a really fun exploration of that. And I'm going to be self-indulgent and ask a question about or two about the Abbey Double as well, because that's what I'm moving on to after that. Look, we've had a great chat during the break, almost none of which I understood because I'm not any of the scientific <laughs> qualifications that are in the room at the time. But it means we've had some excellent questions and I know we'll have some excellent audience questions at the end. But Mr. Warren Wu, why don't you get the guys here to lead us through a bit of a discussion of the cocoa coma? Yeah, Dr. Ben, how do you stick coconut in this? How do you put the coconut in the coconut? Yeah. Um, uh, other Ben asked me at one point uh, in the development of the sort of the idea behind this brewery, sort of what is our, what do we do different? Mm-hmm. And yeah, sort of I'm an R and you think about it, sort of like, and it's like actually it's small batch. We deliberately okay. went small, um, minimizes risk with, um, going to a much bigger scale, but small would mean that we can run 15 taps without having the beer sit around for too long. Small would mean we can do ingredient, uh, ingredients and processes that are not usually available to a larger brewer. Mm-hmm. This one, for example, um, the Tosa Coconut Porter that you had over with in Hawaii uh, and I had over in um, Vietnam, Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, how do we get that in there? Sort of like 
the homebrew club, we would <laughs> would buy the coconuts, uh, shell the coconuts, peel the coconut, grate the coconut, throw it in a saucepan and toast the coconut, take that all to the homebrew where we would brew the, the base beer. And then it would be hot side edition of coconut, um, toasted coconut as well as fresh coconut. Um, then after fermentation is complete as well, uh, cold side edition, dry hop of um, toasted and fresh coconut. Um, so throw coconut at it. Actually, the first brew I think was also in the mash. Like, yeah. Literally yeah. everywhere you could possibly put coconut, you put coconut. <laughs> um, that came out super coconutty, absolutely everyone sort of loved yeah. it. Yeah, right result. Um, yeah. In particular, it yeah. was the toasting that did it. Yeah. So we've had coconut sort of beers elsewhere before, and you've got that more, not quite Bacardi, uh, Malibu sort yeah. of fresh wow. coconut character. Um, this one stood out because it was toasted. Um, yeah. So those little, uh, those, little burnt, those little burnt bits that go on in the toasting process, those little sort of long brown streaks, you've got the toasted coconut, smells wonderful when you're making it. And it... Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I sixty remember my reaction when I first poured from that sample spigot. My like, oh man, and pour a couple of other samples, hand that out to the team. Mm -hmm. It wasn't carbonated; it was um, warm. But it was like, no, this is this is quite lovely. Yeah. Um, and a small batch lets you do that sort of thing on the five hundred liter scale. So we didn't use fresh coconut because I, even at five hundred, I think that's too much. Um, small batches to crack and peel all the coconuts fresh. If we can find a good fresh supplier, that might be a way to go. Uh, but we found a good supplier of desiccated coconut, um, just big enough that it's going to not cause too many problems in your brew house system. And set up a, uh, a big stock pot, uh, 50, 50 litre stock pot outside the venue, pour a kilo bag of, to uh, of a desiccated coconut in, stir it around. Three ring burner. Pull up the outhome brew equipment for it. Burn yourself a couple of times on the pot. Um, that's a small, small batch to us is to. Uh, do that. So any commercialist, any commercial scale wanting to distribute this beer would probably have to invest in some sort of coffee roaster type setup to do that. So it rotates for you as a supplying heat, uniform application of heat. There's a whole separate bit of equipment, but on the small scale, we can do that with a three ring burner and a 50 litre stock pot. I love you that. Yeah, I, I, I did nothing. I just <laughs> enjoyed the rewards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's just the coconut. Then it's, it, it's actually in a beer, and um, this beer oh, it goes back to those homebrew times. I don't remember how it developed sort of the recipe, but I think I tried to think about all the different flavors of the base beer that I wanted to complement coconut. Think sort of your biscuity, your chocolatey, your coffee roasty. Uh, so I think there's um, four or five different, uh, three different roasted grains, a couple of crystals. Um, and yeah, sort of your base malt in there, all to sort of build that depth of flavor around that coconut. There actually is quite a level of bitterness behind this one, but we haven't gone for the low, deliberately low bitter um, grain in there. Like we, we are trying to have a bit of complex flavor because coconut's oily and it, like you have that first mouthful and it's just almost a bit of porter, but then you get this wash of this oil, this coconutty juiciness, this, this lusciousness sort of coats your mouth. And that then lets you, as you then go for that second mouthful, and again, we're going for that bottom of the pint flavoring. Um, you know, once you've had a bit of it, you've got that constant coconut that isn't overwhelming because it could very quickly become too much. And it's a strong flavor coconut. So you've got to keep it subtle enough that it's not too much later on, but strong enough that you get that coconut hit. You know, when you smell it, you get that little bit of the coconut. When you taste it, 
it takes a second for the first one, but then you get this wash of coconut through it. So we want to make sure, yeah, yeah. After, after you've got this solid base of there, and then you've got this yeah. oiliness, which is challenging in its own way for like head retention and, and viscosity and so on. But, but um, there's lots of yin and yangs in this brewery. Like, uh, he's a chatty one, I'm sort of quiet one. He's a sort of yeah. uh, get stuff sort of done on the sort of like the detail and the numbers. With the brewing things, I'm the, the broad brushstrokes, I do the, the balance um, of the beer, sort of, and then he. There's fine brush strokes of finding all these sort of flavors yeah. and describing that in there. Yeah, lucky, I guess, in that, the, that the winery line. background sort of forces you to be more detailed in your palate. You know, like, yeah, like anything, you can practice it and you get better at it. So, I guess I had a bit of background behind it. So, you had to pick out not necessarily just obvious flavors, but certainly something a bit more complex. And, um, and I think this works really, really well as a, as a complex beer. Um, I've definitely had. Flavored beers that are all about a single flavor and can be, you know, nice. But again, you drink a lot of it and it, it's overwhelming or it starts becoming very one-dimensional. Um, so, so really proud of the way this has a level of complexity to it that actually gives you uh, an interesting drink. And this is why, you know, I mean, talk about Melbourne summer, it's not actually that hot most of the time. But, um, but it, that means you don't have to worry about it being cold, fireside, you know, warming beer it's it's actually a, a just a a good yeah. beverage on its yeah. own yeah. and absolutely. you're absolutely right particularly dr ben what you're saying there about the way that the the flavors come on sort of in those extra sips um and it reminds me i can't even remember which brewer it was which i feel a bit bad about now but we were talking to someone once about the problem with doing little tasting paddles and little tastes is that you actually do take a little while for your mouth to sort of get rid of the flavours of the previous beer and start to appreciate the one that's in the glass in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. And this really was for me, just backing up what both of you were saying about you know, second, third, fourth sip, where you really start to taste the beer properly. Uh, even though it's just out of the fridge, it's not a temperature question, it's just that your palate yeah. just has to reset a bit and get rid of yeah. what you yeah. previously. And that was why I said don't worry about letting it warm up because it's this this oil in there, and when that hits your mouth, it actually it, it removes what was in there beforehand. You don't have to wait for that flavour to sort of get bigger and richer. Yeah. As you drink a beer and it warms up, you're going to get those complexities coming out more anyway. It, it, it balances. It, it balances at the start when it's cold and it's balanced, you know, as it you know, comes up a little bit in temperature. It's yeah. a, it's a, um, so it's our dessert beer in this in the sense that you've got that sort of coconutty sort of toasted coconut flavor you might find probably familiar with a marshmallow sort of thing. Mm. Um, my one's at least a homemade in my home. Um, so no no lactose added, no artificial sweeteners added. We sort of take those roasted grains, relying on that roasting process to leave those um, uh, sugar chains that the yeast can't eat behind, um, mash it at a, a temperature that we leave uh yeah deliberately try to leave more of those a bit not so dry mashing temperature uh so that we can get that little bit of sweetness to match that coconut um to giving like the a traditionally brewed sort of um sweeter beer so more full-bodied one there's like uh, there's a few a few breweries out there that create the very the very sweet um uh stouts yeah, milkshake yeah. stouts yeah, and yeah great tasting in that little thimble sized cup at the gab's container bars but yeah, if you few of those symbols in, if they're hot in, then it's too much. So I want to avoid that with all my beers that I make, is that you can get to that pint, end of the pint, still enjoy that beer. Um, the 
the other strange thing going back to coconut and our current climate like the weather we normally have this time of year um my wife mentioned that we we had uh, a rice and a, a chickpea curry and she's she's gone there it was really strange how reminiscent of a rangdang like a beef rangdang that that kind of toasted toasted coconut kind of thing yeah. strangely all pulled together it was yeah, yeah it was really yeah. nice um, um i think this, this beer would be good to add to a uh, a rangdang you see how that bitterness might come out but yeah or yeah, even coconut is flexible in that savory side, I guess is what yeah. we're saying there. And and yeah, and beer and, essentially and, is savory. And it's tropical kind of origins. You gotta remember that the coconut, when it all comes downward, is is uh yeah. Yeah. tropical yeah, plant. Um we <laughs> there's there's a there's a whole lot going on here and it's it's really delicious. Um I was just gonna quickly say uh I love the idea that that you guys are small enough that that a three ring burner and a, a giant stock pot is all you need. I I can't remember, David. You might be able to recall. This is another previous brewery that we 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 uh, spoke to. Um, they toasted their coconut in the pizza oven that they had on site. Was that? Can you remember that, David? Was that maybe King Valley? uh yeah one of the very uh, the the my favorite stories are the ones that connect yeah. the the very much are about you guys have an idea executing that it couldn't be done at at, at ten thousand yeah. liters yeah yeah 100 liters just make it happen and the entire venue smelled of toasted coconut for like a week which is amazing <laughs> yeah. first three days and then it was pretty challenging but um yeah so that's they're the sort of stories that it means the people who come in for a drink also get to experience that as well. Yeah, they get to come through, and you know that's the joys of going to a brewery is you get to smell the brewing. You know, but um, this is slightly more out there. Um, I'm gonna dive through to another question on our question sheet, which I'm really fascinated with. What is what are you looking forward to? What are you both looking forward to in the coming year for for Ramblers? It's yeah, right at the very start. Yeah, so to get to this year, what a what a bloody road. Um, COVID, end of COVID, you start up and you go through this cost of living crisis sort of yep. last year. Now, Hawthorne's very affluent, that sort of, um, you know, uh, wealth, wealth, wealth have been here for a little bit. So they're not like lacking um, sort of money, but the, the rate rises definitely made people not spend it. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year was sort of like, at this time last year, uh, a little bit, um, but then, yeah, definitely in the, into the coming months of last year, it was like, well, what are we going to do? Uh, this year, we're seeing a lot more positive signs. Um, and so we're going to sort of hit the um, advertising sort of button. Um, a lot of people still in Hawthorne don't know we exist. Hawthorne's a big suburb, um, but there's a train line, a couple of train lines around um, that make people not, and, and supermarkets, it's like a physical barrier. So once they get to their train station or they get to the supermarket, they have no reason to go further. They've got no reason to come to this corner. Um, so advertising has, has proven, I think, in the later half of last year to be quite um, beneficial for us to get out to the local community that way. Uh, going to a local uh, Glen Ferry Festival where they shut down the local road. A um, couple of other beer festivals. Uh, Melbourne Beer Fest, we're hoping to hear a positive uh, response to our application shortly for that one. Um, that will help us get the craft beer people in as well. Yeah. Summarise, I guess, the, the last two years, we've very much focused on the venue itself. 
um, and you know, brewing for the venue and the community that sort of come here. And I guess coming up this year, we would like to uh, step outside a little bit. So, you know, through advertising or by going to festivals, we haven't really done any festivals. We've never been to a Gabs before as a, as a brewery. Um, just sort of get out into the, the beer world um, and sort of start interacting with people out there. Because, um, you know, we think the beers are, we think the beers are pretty good. Um, we, we like what, you know, what we sort of do. Um, so hopefully being able to share that to more people would be the plan. Correct. Do you, have, do you have a bit of a vision for which beers you're going to be leading out there with? I mean, obviously you can't take all sort of 15 yeah. that you have on tap. What, what do you yeah, want to be known for? Yeah, that's absolutely the, the challenge, right? So um, when we first sort of started, we're like, well, what beers are we going to sell? You know, we'll, we'll start it like every other brewery. We'll have a tap room of, you know, 40 beers and we'll sell, get famous for one of them. And, you know, that'll, and then we're like, well, what, what's it going to be? You know, like, how, how do you choose, you know, that the beer that you're sort of going to go with? So we, we've sort of deliberately not pushed anything too hard, you know, like um, in the tap room to sort of see what happens organically. Um, and we found that, you know, easy drinkers follow the trends, you know, like they, you know, the pale ales and the, the lagers always sell really big. But yeah, I, I, I don't I, know. I think, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to go into the sort of local community, you'd be targeting those, those easy drinking ones, uh, Pacific Rim, Tropical, uh, Pale, Glen, All Day Lager. Because uh, what sells here is going to sell in a restaurant pretty yeah. much. And then you obviously in your, your catalogue, you have these other ones, the more interesting ones that people might want to. Um, to go for if they're to get their more craft beer venues. Um, for the for the festivals, we're going to go do the, the sort of do Hammerdale and the craft beer sort of yeah, uh, yeah. area. So yeah, bigger hazies in the sours. We actually, I, I really like the sours we produce. Yeah. They're very balanced sours. Um, we can have some really lovely rich flavors to them, and you know lots of fresh juice because we're able to do that. So um, we, we we kettle sour, so we will kill the sourness at the level that we wish. Um, also being a small batch sort of venue only brewer, we're willing to put a lot more fruit in than what a, maybe a distribution-based brewery does. Uh, that fruitness helps cut back that sourness as well. Yeah, yeah. Like some of the customers coming in, these sours that are so balanced. Uh, it's perfect. That's my, so what I wanted to do with the breweries, have that word balanced be uh, the descriptor. Yeah, yeah. And for the sour beers, um, people are loving them. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll sort of see, we'll follow what people sort of are chasing. Um, we won't push anything too specific, but there's definitely some beers that we'll take to festivals that are a bit more more adventurous, I guess, more, more craft beer familiar rather than easy drinking style. So, yeah, sours yeah, like change, your, change your thinking. Don't think of like, um, uh, don't think of your last serene farmhouse sours that are um, cultured uh, to the point where they, they simply they can't produce any more sourness. And it's just like, um, really, really tart. We got much more controlled sourness. I mean, coming from wine, you talk about acid levels in, in wine, um, and, and beers only sort of the same when you talk about pH. It's only is got the same sort of acid level as a lot of soft drinks. If, if, if a lemon is a farmhouse <laughs> sour acidity level, then we're sort of you like your nice sort of navel orange. It's like it's sweet, <laughs> but also still got that tartness to help balance that. Yeah, um, I like that. Image. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I'm going to throw in. We've got we've got a couple of audience questions coming in, but I'm going to throw in our traditional cool room question because I think that'd be good time for that now. Um, so, well, this will be interesting because I don't know if there's many cool rooms in physics labs which which focus on lasers, but I might be I might be mistaken. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> What is the craziest, most fascinating, weird, 
destructive thing you've seen in a cool room. And by cool room, we're, we're kind of the general broad strokes of hospitality and, and beer production. So yeah. Yeah, whatever, whatever, yeah. Well, our cool room is a, um, a second-hand cool room that came from a florist um, that we picked up in a truck um, yeah. and then re, re, well, built, I guess, on site. And that was probably the weirdest thing I've ever seen was trying to rebuild a cool room that you'd pulled apart, not knowing how it goes back together again. So it was... sounds like someone's trying to build a cool room at the back there right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, a bit of noise happening now. Uh, some guys going through cleaning some bits. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, our cool room does many things but as far as weird cool rooms i've seen i don't know i grew up in the country so i've sort of seen you know hanging animals in them um, at the same time as people were trying to yeah cold ferment beer or cold store of beer which is probably a bit weird but yeah i don't know don't really spend a lot of time in cool rooms outside of where we are now <laughs> and Dr. Ben, any other sort of, you know, experiences there that, you know, we need well, to know about? The thing you've seen in a, a sort of cool room. Um, I love it. Actually, I hate it when the, you see sort of a, there's many different marks on the roof of where beer is hit the roof of the cool room. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to mop up the floor. It's uh, remembering to look up. Yeah. So you got you got a uh, keg hire. You have no idea where those kegs have been in their past life. You have no idea how well they've been treated. Um, you put them through your, your keg washing machine, um, and then going to fill them with beer. But at, at some stage, you might be getting a keg that's had a bit of damage to the spear, and it just uh, uh, take the the coupler off the keg, uh, but the spear stays down. Beer goes straight up. It's your fifteen psi. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. And it's only over the dark beers that happens to Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think let's, let's use this as the opportunity to go over. I know we've got some audience questions. Mr. Warren Wu is about to leave us because he has an unannounced visitor, which reminds me of some of my favourite poets. But here you go. I'm the only English teacher in the room, not a physicist. So that'll that'll be uh, a joke that only I will enjoy. Um, Jane, can we get you to unmute and ask your question, please? And if there's any other audience questions, here's your chance. And then we're going to get a bit of a preview of the Abbey Double before we get uh, before we press pause on the record. Okay, hello, Ben and Ben. I was just studying the the can during during the the chats, and I thought it was a pattern to start with. Then I realised it was actually a map, and yeah. I thought I saw the Yarra River. And I was wondering whether there's you've got your um your logo, logo with the signpost. Yeah. Is that signpost where not, the brewery is? Not quite. There is a mark on the map of where the brewery is. It's in that classic little upside down teardrop. Uh, it's very, very faint. It's just under the logo, under the name. Um, it should be, I'm gonna have to go and get a can and point it out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking really hard. I can't see it. It's, 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 it's a subtle aspect of the can design that our, uh, our graphic artist did for us. Uh, we, quite, we quite liked it. it it's an old, no matter what the, uh, I think there's only a couple of brands that don't have that design on it, but most of the cans have that map. Um, pointing, we're about 900 meters away from the Yarra can't see it, um, but in COVID times when we first opened the takeaway, we would direct people down to the arrows to have their beer. Okay, so here we have the can. We're actually going to go underneath the logo. We're going to go move around to the very start, and there's an intersection, and the intersection actually is where it is. We didn't want to have it right in the uh, middle. 
So it's, it's, yes. we didn't want it to look like a, like a fault. We wanted it to be a, a, a little cookie, you know, something you could find. Gotcha. For those playing along at home, yep, it's, yeah, you can see it. It is like yeah. the little map. So it's, like yeah, it would be marker. just under the line of the globally inspired, locally made words, but it would be uh, an eighth turn uh, <laughs> in front of it, yeah. Yep, fabulous. Found it. Thank you. <laughs> It's a very, uh, it's a very insider question, Jane. I love it. Uh, if there aren't any other audience questions, I'm going to bid good evening to Mr. Wu. Uh, I'm going to ask guys, can you just give us a quick preview of the next beer that I'm going to be tasting tonight? That Abbey Double. This is a style that I love. For people who are new to it, just really give us a, a quick, broad brushstroke explanation of what we should be experiencing in this can. And then we're going to let people explore the tasting pack for themselves. That one? No. Yeah, um, yeah so um, uh, the, the Trappist monks of you know, Belgium um, were producing beer for thousands of years and found a way to market it so they could survive and get paid for it. And um, I guess the, the thing they were really working at that, that, became, that they became quite famous for were beers that were double strength or triple strength or, or quadruple strength, which then started being named as doubles and triples and quadruples. Um, so we, for our very first 12 months, we wanted to make a, a special beer for surviving. Um, and we thought we'd make something that could last a long time. So we went for uh, an Abbey double. So one of the big tricks to making the, the doubles is they use um, ways of trying to uh, inflate the alcohol percentage without necessarily using malt. So they use um, uh, a candy sugar or a Belgian candy sugar is what they call it, but it used to be made out of um, sugar beet juice, like sugar, um, which was quite hard to get and it would be uh, concentrated. And it meant that you got a lot sort of stronger beers, but you got a whole bunch of flavours that came through with your stuff without adding any body to a beer as well. They inverted it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know how they do that. <laughs> um, same, same, same as pretzels. Adding um, drain cleaner, caustic, lye, sodium hydroxide. Adding that sort of to your sugar um, changes its uh, flavor profile considerably. Yeah. So you end up with a beer that, that looks really dark, but actually has a really light body. It doesn't actually have a huge amount of malt to give you that high alcohol percentage because you're using this this, this adjunct sugar, um, which then gives you all these wonderful fruit cakey, um, sultanery dried fruits sweeter notes to it, um, then you get, yeah, a, a beer that is ageable, um, especially in barrels, it's amazing, um, but we haven't done any of that, we've just... So, yeah. Belgian style, so German, like, beer was never German Reinskebuk, uh, malt, hops, uh, water, yeast. <clears throat> that is, in beer's lifetime, that's a very narrow period of time to have that restriction in play. Um, so, people think that adding sugar is like a weird thing that Belgians do. That's actually some of the traditional ways to make beer long before that one person in Germany created the, the beer in who had a big say in hot production. <laughs> yeah. um, so either the Belgians do it sort of very well with their different additions of spice and sugars and everything for the beer. Yeah, absolutely. And they'd be reverence they have for the beer of, well, we're not doing it here, but every beer would have a, a dedicated glass to serve it in as well. So, so this we are looking for something that has I guess from a flavour perspective, yeah, a wider body, but a, a richer complexity of flavour. It, it has, um, has a lot going on, um, which is we're used to marrying up with having a lot of texture in our mouth as well. So I guess you know, a, a good double shouldn't be too rich, um, whereas a triple will then you know, start being 
like crazily complex and our quadruple is just you know absolutely immense so we wanted something that was um, manageable for us but also something that we could celebrate for a long this time might have, this one over time i think is that aging has given it that uh, much sort of cleaner in the alcohol sense you do get adding sugars into the brewing process some of those higher alcohols produced uh that pink thinner acetone hints happening there um and that, that aging uh helps us sort of smooth those out over time i think i can Every time you come back to this one, it's not one you, you regularly go for the 7.9 center. Yeah. It's still the strongest beer, I think, made. which doesn't say much. We don't make crazy beers, but um, yet. Well, I can't wait to be putting my taste buds to that beer. Gentlemen, thank you so much for spending this time with us tonight. Um, congratulations on the venue. I've had a couple of fun visits out there already and look forward to many more. Just once more, just give us the address of where people can find it, particularly all of our friends who are flying in from Tahiti <laughs> areas. And um, just give us that little plug on the socials of how we can follow the Rambler story as well. No worries. All right. So uh, Rambler's Aleworks is located on the intersection of Riversdale Road and Glenferry Road in Hawthorne. We are number 96 Riversdale Road, um, just in east, eastern Melbourne. Um, and you can follow us along at ramblesaleworks.beer uh, is our website. And uh, this, the socials have the, you know, the handle of Rambles Aleworks. We're the only one. Mm. Excellent work. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. We're going to press stop on the record, but we will sit around and look forward to tasting the beautiful Abbey Duel right now. Right. Thanks, David. Thanks, Warren. Thanks, everyone.